The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. So today we are starting a brand new series uh, we call um, Living Skillfully, and today is the first sermon of that series. It's going to be a four-week sermon series, so throughout the month of February. And here's why I think this series will be extremely important for every one of us. Because without exception, all of us, we are on a journey. Okay, we are on a journey heading somewhere. Everyone's on a path. And what I love about our church is there's some one of us, some of us who are 15, and there's some of us who are over 60. And yet it doesn't matter who you are, all of us are on a path heading somewhere. So you might be a student, you might be an employee, you might be married, you might be a grandparent, doesn't matter who you are, but you are on a path leading to a destination. See, we are moving in a direction. Even when we feel like we're stuck and we're not doing anything, you are actually moving somewhere, okay? By the way, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you not doing anything by choosing to stay where you are, that's a choice in itself. And that's mean you are going somewhere. So the journey that we're in leads us to a destination, but it not only leads us to a destination, but it also turns us into something, okay? So here's what we must get. There are two possibilities at the end of our journey. We are becoming wise or we are becoming foolish. And every moment of our life, every choices take us closer there. So the question that I want to ask before I start is, which part are you on? Are you on a path that leads to wisdom or are you on a path that leads to foolishness? Now, so today we begin a series in the book of Proverbs and you, if, you, if you grew up in church, then you know the book of Proverbs is where you go to find wisdom, right? Because if we want to be wise, we can't avoid the book of Proverbs because it's all about wisdom. But here's the thing about wisdom. It's hard. How many of you realize that life used to be a lot easier when you were younger? Do you realize that? Like when I was young, when I was a teenager, I hardly went shopping, okay? Because my mom pretty much bought me every clothes I wore. Until something happened. Was that? Not puberty. So in my first year in Bible college in Dallas, Texas, you know, my parents visited me. And, you know, when they come, they always bought gifts, right? So my mom bought me a white T-shirt with a writing on it. Like, I didn't think much about it, you know, and I wore it the next day to morning chapel. So think about it. I'm in a Bible college. I'm in a morning chapel. I was in the middle of worship, lifting my hands to God. And when one of the student leaders, you know, called me out and said, I need to speak to you. I'm like, ooh, what happened here? And then he took me out of the room and he asked me, is that a new t-shirt? I'm like, yeah, my parents bought it for me. Um, they just came and it's good. I love it, right? What's wrong with it? And he asked, do you know what it says? I read the writing on my tea. I love intercourse. He asked, do you know what intercourse is? I'm like, intersection? No. Okay? So apparently, without me realizing, I was worshiping God in the middle of chapel with a t-shirt that say, I love sex. Okay, that's so awkward. Okay? Ever since that day, I started buying clothes for myself. But shopping got harder with time because I remember there was a time that I get all my clothing needs from one store. It's called Zara. But now, it's different. Now I'm wearing all Uniqlo, by the way. But I also have the choice of Saba. I have choice of um, MJ Bale, Massimo Duri, Zara. So life becomes more complicated. Especially today, we live in a world with countless possibility. What used to take a minute to decide now can take a few hours, especially if we live in a city like Sydney. We are faced with millions of choices everywhere. For example, 
one of the hardest choice that we need to make every week is where to eat after church. Like if we live in a small suburban area, it's easy. Like we don't have many choices. McDonald's or KFC, that's it, right? It's easy to decide, but because we live in a city like Sydney, we have hundreds of choices of where to go, and it makes it so much harder. If you don't ask, if you don't believe me, ask the guy who chose the restaurant where to eat every Sunday. Because there's always this party that rebel against his choice, right? You know who you are. But other than that, we also have important choices to make. Which university should I go to? What major should I take? I mean, should I stay in this company? Should I move to another company? Should I start my own work? Should I pursue further study? Who should I date? Should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I live in Sydney? Should I live in Indonesia? Should I take this business proposal? Should I not take this business proposal? So every day we are bombarded with choices that we need to make. And here's the thing about choices that we make. Every choice is like fork in the road. And once we make it, there's no turning back. We can't undo it. We can't undo our choices, and there are consequences for every choice. Do you realize that? So if we make the wrong choices, we can never go back. And if we don't make good choices, it can be very destructive. Because here's something that we understand. Bad choices have bad consequences for us. Think about it. How often do we mess up with our choices? Have you ever said hurtful words you know you shouldn't to the people you love? Have you ever been hurt and instead of forgiving that person and let it go, you talk about that person behind their back and you exaggerated the story? Have you ever made a big investment because someone tells you, this is easy money, you're going to make a lot of money, only to lose your saving? Have you ever dated someone that you know you have no business dating and you ended up with months and even years of heartbreak? See, our choices have massive consequences on our lives. So the question is this. So how can we be sure that we make good choices? That's what we want to know, right? You know what's the answer? Wisdom. If we don't want to make absolute mess of our life, we need wisdom. We desperately need wisdom to navigate our, wife, our life and through life and live skillfully. Okay, so that's why we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about this. And let me warn you, today is just the first part of four-week sermon series, okay? So I'm not going to answer everything you want to know about wisdom today. Today is just the introduction. And let me tell you a secret. Tonight, when you finish the sermon, I'm going to leave you hanging. Why? Because I want you to come back the week after and the week after and the week after. Because at the end of this sermon, you'll be like, okay, I get it, but so what, yours? Wait until next week. So today, we're going to talk about specifically about finding wisdom. And then next week, we're going to talk about how do we grow in the wisdom. And then the third, we're going to talk about how do we walk in that wisdom. And the last Sunday, we're going to talk about the foolish wisdom, okay? And the last Sunday, Josta will be preaching. He already uh, submitted his manuscript to me. And let me tell you, you don't want to miss that Sunday. It's great. I love it, okay? Can't wait for it. So today, instead of my usual three-point sermon, I have four. Why four? My gift from you. I just came from sabbatical, right? So I have more to say than usual. I have four points for my sermon. What wisdom is, why is it important, why is it a problem, and where to find it. Okay, look at the first one, what wisdom is. First one to four. The proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So we know that King Solomon is the main author of the book of Proverbs. He's not the only one. Uh, there are a couple of them by Agur and King Lemuel. But Solomon wrote most of Proverbs. And right off the bat, Solomon wants us to know what wisdom is. Okay? And one of the best ways we know what wisdom is, is by looking at the synonyms that Solomon used for wisdom. Okay? There's a couple of synonyms here that we see in these four verses. The first one is words of insight. Now, what is insight? 
It comes from the Hebrew word bina, and it's a word that means to notice differences, to see fine distinction that other people can't see. Okay, let me give you an example. Does any one of you love Sherlock Holmes TV series? Anyone? Okay. Not the movies one, not the Robert Downey Jr., but the one by Benedict Cumberbatch, BBC One, right? If you haven't watched it, watch it. It is the best TV series ever. And this is what I love about Sherlock. Whenever he walks into a crime scene, what we see is a mess, a big, big mess. And all other detectives, they're like, hmm, I'm not sure what's happening here. And they might be able to find, you know, two or three different clues from that mess. But when Sherlock's come in, it's different. Where other people only can see two or three different clues, Sherlock can see what? Like 20, 30 different clues. Because he's seeing clues everywhere. He realized like, hmm, that mark, not supposed to be there, it's supposed to be there. That painting's a bit tilted, something off there. That pen should be on the drawer. Why is it not on the drawer? So he sees all the irregularities that no one can see, and he suddenly knows, here's what happened. That's called insight. That's wisdom. So we say, uh, I look at my situation, and here's the two things that I can do. A wise person will look at the same situation and say, no, 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 that's not true. You actually have 10 things that you can do in this situation, and here they are. So wisdom is insight. The ability to see clearly where other people just see blur. And then the second synonym is prudence. Now, the word prudence comes from the Hebrew word oma, which means practical and strategic. It means to know how to get things done, how to make goals and turn it into reality. So it's not simply knowing about something, but how to bring that thing into a reality. Because it's like this. There's a difference between playing a game to win and having a game plan to win. Like a manager of soccer team can say, we want our team to win. Like the manager of my team say that every week. But wisdom knows better simply than doing our best and hoping we will win. Because wisdom will do, what wisdom will do is they will draw up a game plan that will enable the team to score more than the other team. And that game plan needs to include and take into consideration every little detail from the condition of the player, the weather, the opponent's strategy. Another way to say it is this. Wise people not only have insight, but they also have foresight. They don't just diagnose the problem, but they also know how to solve it. And the third synonym is the word instruction. Okay, we're not going to touch this because we're going to talk about this next week and the week after. But the word instruction is actually the Hebrew word that means the depth of character. So let's put it all together. Okay, what is wisdom? Here's how one Old Testament scholar by the name of Gerhard von Rath put it. He says this, Wisdom, according to the Bible, is competence with regards to the realities of life, competence with regard to how life really works. Now, I love that. Wisdom is competence with regard to how life really works, which means wisdom assumes knowledge. But wisdom is not the same as knowledge. You with me on that? So if we do not know anything about a subject, we can't be wise about that subject. But knowing a lot about that subject does not mean we are competent about that subject. One of the wisest men I know, my dad, he often says this, wisdom is not only knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what we know. Because we can be knowledgeable and dumb. We can have all the knowledge we want in the world and still make an absolute mess of our life. Anyone can testify? But if we don't have the knowledge, we can't be wise. So wisdom assumes knowledge and knowing how life really works. Okay, for example, do you believe that there is God who made the universe? Because that knowledge changes everything. If there's a God who made the universe and you decided to disobey Him, that's not wrong. That's dumb. If there's a law of gravity and you decide 
you want to go against the law of gravity, that's not wrong. That's dumb. So wisdom assumes knowledge. Wisdom assumes that we are in touch with the reality of how life works. But knowing alone is not wisdom. Wisdom is about talking about competence with regards to how life really works. So yes, wisdom is not less than knowledge, but it is more. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do with what we know. It's the ability to read a situation and make the right decision. So if someone comes to me and say, yes, I have two job offers. I'm a Christian. I look at the Bible, and the Bible doesn't have anything against either job. Which one should I take? Well, it wouldn't be sin to take either job. And yet you know this. If that person takes the wrong job, there will be consequences to pay. Or let's say it's a poor family come to us and seek our help financially. Here's my question. Is it wrong to help them financially? Well, of course not. The Bible tells us to care and help the poor and the needy around us. But here's the thing. If we don't use wisdom, if we're not wise, the way we help the poor family can actually lead them to further destruction. If we don't have the wisdom to help them properly, it can backfire and destroy that family instead of helping them. You with me on that? Now, can you see why we need wisdom? Yes, we have to be knowledgeable to be wise. Yes, we have to be in touch with reality to be wise. But we can do both and still be really dumb. Because we are not competent. We are not competent with regard to how life really works. Which leads us to my second point. Okay, why wisdom is important. Verse 5 to 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, here's the truth about all of us. None of us are born wise. Wisdom is not something that comes naturally for us. Wisdom is something that we must grow into. And according to Solomon, a wise person is someone who knows that he or she has not arrived. A wise person is actually someone who continuously grows in wisdom. Okay? So how do we grow in wisdom? Here's how Daniel Atkins put it. The truly wise will have the humility to know that they still need to listen to counsel instead of having arrogance to think they have arrived. The wise recognize that no one graduates. We all need to hear the wisdom of Proverbs again and again throughout our life. Wisdom is not a goal to attain. It is a pursuit that you spend your whole life on. Okay, I love the last sentence. Wisdom is not a goal to attain. It is a pursuit, which is important. Because in the book of Proverbs, we will find there are three kinds of people. Okay, who are they? There are three kinds of people in the book of Proverbs. The wise, the simple, and the fool. Okay? And since no one is naturally wise, you and I, we are either the simple or the fool. Okay, let's talk about the simple first. Who are the simple? The simple is a word that describes young, naive people who don't have what it takes to make smart decisions because they are going with the crowds. Okay, think about it. Isn't that true? When we were young, some of you still, we care so much about what our friends think of us rather than what's right. Am I right? Like our worst nightmare when I was a teenager, my worst nightmare is for my friend to think that I'm not cool. So we wanted our friend to like us. And because we care so much about what our friends thought of us, instead of doing the wise thing, we did the popular thing. That's why we put that cigarette on our mouth. That's why we use the curse words in every few sentences to sound like we're cool. That's why we ditch classes to go to the beach. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And now that we are older, we look back to our younger days and we say like, what on earth was I thinking? Why did I ever do that? Why was I so dumb? Why? Because we were the simple. We were blinded by the people around us. The fool, however, is the opposite. 
The fool is a person who is wise in his own eye. So if the simple is the kind of person who cares so much about what other people think of him, the fool is a person who does not care enough about other people, what other people think of him. So because he thinks, I get it all figured out. I am the master of my own life. A fool is someone who is stubborn, self-righteous, opinionated, and despises correction. He doesn't listen to what other people say because he thinks that he is wise in his own eyes. And let me tell you, this is the problem with our forefather, isn't it? This is the problem with Adam and Eve. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, this is what happened, right? God prohibited them from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God wanted them to rely on God to tell them what is right and wrong. God wanted them to trust God to define what is good and evil. Not for them to decide for themselves. However, they disobeyed God and they decided, you know what? I think I'm wise. I think I'm good enough to be able to discern what is good and wrong for myself. And they ate the fruit. That's foolishness. And before we blame Adam and Eve, such a fool, can we agree that we do the same thing again and again? Like we know. We know what the Word of God says. But we always think somehow we are the exceptions. Like, oh yeah, I know God wants me to be faithful to my spouse, but I think God do not know my spouse. I'm pretty sure God do not want me to be miserable. I'm pretty sure God wants me to live a happy life. Or maybe we saw this. Well, I know I shouldn't cheer on my taxes, but the government is really ripping me off. I am sure God won't mind. I'm sure God won't mind if I cheat just a little bit on my taxes as long as I share with my, with my pastor. Like somehow we think we know better than God and we are wise in our own eyes. That's foolishness. But it's the thing, the common denominator between the simple and the fool. You know what that is? They are both out of touch with reality. See, wisdom is competence with regard to reality. Wisdom acknowledges that this world is a fallen world, tainted with sin. So a wise person will look at the commandments of God, the truth of God, and look at the brokenness of the world and say, okay, okay, in the light of this, what is the wisest thing that I can do in this situation? The simple and the fool, they don't do that. See, the simple, they're not in touch with reality. Do you know what they're in touch with? With the people around them, with their friends. While the fool, the fool's not in touch with reality, the fool is in touch with his pride. And what it takes to be a wise person is to be in touch with reality. And let me tell you, this is extremely difficult. Because it means oftentimes there's no such thing as black and white answer. Let's say you face a reality, in the, in the, let's say you face a difficult situation involving someone who is full. Someone who's stubborn. Someone who thinks they're always right. My question. What do you do? Should you confront that guy? Should you want other people to avoid him? Or should you just let it go? You just keep your mouth shut and mind your own business. Which one? Let's take a vote. How many say we should confront the fool? The fool. Raise your hand. The confronter, let me see, not many of you. Oh, wow. How many said we should leave the fool alone? Most of you. Okay, the avoider. Okay. Do you want to know, know what the book of Proverbs say? Here you go. Okay, the book of Proverbs tell us this. Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So Proverbs tell us, do not answer him, leave him alone. Okay, shut your mouth. But if we think that's the only answer, we are in for a surprise. Because the very next verse says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So now we are told to confront a fool. So we read it and say, okay, so should I confront? Should I ignore? The answer is, it depends. See, these two verses, they're not contradictory. 
Because what the proverb is teaching us is there are times that we have to answer the fool, and there are times that we have to keep our mouth shut. And knowing when to do which is wisdom. Now, do you see? Because here's the problem with many Christians. Many Christians look at the book of Proverbs, and they think it's a bunch of instruction and promises, but they're not. Proverbs is about wisdom. It's about how life actually works. And that's why to have wisdom is very important. Okay, Solomon says this about wisdom in Proverbs 8, verse 10 to 11. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice of gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. See, Solomon saying this, having wisdom is more precious, is more important than having all the wealth of the universe, than all the fame, and then having all your dreams come true. Why? Because having all that you desire in life is nowhere near as important as knowing what to do with the situation in front of you. Okay, let me give you one case study from the Bible, okay? You know this guy, okay? We make fun of love with this guy a lot in the Bible, but I think we need to apologize to him when we see him in heaven. His name is Simon Peter. See, one time Jesus asked his disciple, guys, who do you say that I am? Now, remember what Peter said? Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus praised him. Awesome, Peter. So here's the thing about Peter. So Peter had the right knowledge about Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. But then when Jesus immediately shifted the conversation, talked about, oh, you know, guys, I need to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. But don't worry, I'm going to raise again from the, on the third day. You know what Peter said to Jesus? Peter said, uh-uh, Jesus. You can't do that. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You can't die. And remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. Now what happened here? Peter had the right knowledge, but he did not have wisdom. Peter knew who Jesus was, but he did not what to do with information that he had. That's why he came to the wrong conclusion about Jesus and he was rebuked by Jesus. And isn't that many of us today? See, I, I, I can bet that the reason why many of us are extremely frustrated right now, the reason we have that sinking feeling in our stomach right now, the reason that we are sleepless at night is because we are in a situation and we don't have the wisdom to deal with it. It's not that we don't have the knowledge. Oh, we have all the knowledge in our phone. Google tells us everything. We have the knowledge, but we don't have the wisdom. Now, can you see why wisdom is important? Which leads me to my third point. Wisdom is not only important. Wisdom is problematic. Okay, here's why wisdom is a problem. Okay, and I got this. I'm going to be honest. I stole it from Tim Keller's sermon. So one of the world's most renowned child psychologists by the name of Jerome Kagan said there are three basic habitual reactions to dangers. It doesn't matter who we are, what our culture is, there are three different ways we respond to danger. Who are they? Call them the anxious, the aggressive, and the philosophical. So when, an act, when the anxious face a danger, they instinctively say, Hop, let me get out of this situation as soon as possible. I need to escape. I need to run away. I don't want to be here. So the anxious natural reaction is to withdraw, to escape. While the aggressive, when they face a danger, they say, let me tackle it. Let me get in there and fix the problem before it gets to me. So their natural tendency is to on the other hand, the philosophical tend to say, relax, guys, chill. Let's not do anything rash. Let's evaluate the situation first. Let's wait and see. And Jerome said that all of us are wired for one of these responses. See, one of these responses come naturally to us, and it feels wise to us. It happened instinctively. We don't even have to think. It's just natural. 
Just out of curiosity, I want to know how many of you are the anxious type? Can I see your hand? The anxious type, the coward? Okay, here you go. How many of you are the aggressive type? You tackle it, okay? The one that usually die first, okay? Some of you. How many of you are the philosophical type? Raise your hand. Okay, these guys are talk only and no, nothing done. Question. Which type work best in dealing with a problem? Do you know the answer? It depends. But Jerome said, listen, in most situations, our natural response is inappropriate. See, anxious people, they are very good when the danger is really high. Imagine you're facing a wild lion, okay? You're in, you're in front of a wild lion. What do you do? Like your best chance to survive is to run, right? To get out of there as soon as possible. Don't think about it. But let's say you are the aggressive type. Let me tackle that lion before it gets to me. Well, good luck. Or if you are the thinking type, you say, hmm, let's see what the lion would do first. We'll see you in the afterlife, right? The response, the best response in a highly dangerous situation is to escape the anxious type. And the aggressive people are best when it comes to mid-level danger. Because if the danger is kind of middle-sized, you know, you know it, it kind of like, you know, let me tackle it you have a good chance to solve the problem. But even if you don't, it's not little. It's not like become like a life and death situation. Philosophical people, people are best in a situation that look worse than it is. So if you're in a situation that look really bad, but you're actually not, the philosophical, philosophical will say, well, let's slow down. Let's think about it clearly. Let's analyze it first. And here's the point. Whatever seems the most natural way for us to deal with danger is usually wrong. If we face a high-level danger aggressively or philosophically, it's going to destroy us. But if we face a low-level danger in an anxious way, we are simply going to make it worse. A wrong response to a situation can be extremely little. The point of me saying all of this is simply this. We are naturally foolish. See, the way we are wired naturally is often not the best way to deal with the situation in front of us. We are not in touch with our reality. We are in touch with our temperament. We do not know what's the wise thing to do in most situations. Because here's the thing that we need to understand. Foolishness is natural, but wisdom is acquired. If we just be ourselves, we are going to be a fool. Because you and I, we have a certain way in which we view the world. We do. But the problem is, the Bible tells us, we were born in sin, which means none of us can see the world rightly. It's like someone who is colorblind. See, someone who is colorblind, they are able to tell different between few color, but not all color. And the way that they view the world is not the way the world actually works. Am I true? Am I right? They don't see the world the way it actually is. As a result, unless someone else helps them, someone who is colorblind will make Poor fashion decision. That person can wear a red t-shirt, yellow pants, and a green shoe. And that's what happened to us because of sin. We don't view the world the way it really is. We are not in touch with reality. So what we do, we make wrong decisions again and again and again. And the fact that we live in a Disney culture that tells us what? Follow your heart, that's not helping at all. Because the Bible tells us that our heart is extremely deceitful. Doing whatever our heart desires is the recipe for disaster. 
So therefore, wisdom is not something that comes naturally for us. We must learn wisdom. And here's the thing about wisdom. It takes years. It takes years of training. It takes years of humbling ourselves. It takes years of not being wise in our own eyes. It takes years of being instructed and corrected by people around us. It takes years of getting to know the Bible, getting to know God, getting to know our own heart. It takes years of pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. It takes years of pushing ourselves beyond our natural temperament. It takes years to develop wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom is a long process of hard work. We can't avoid it, which we're going to talk about next week. But here's the thing about it, that step. If we don't do it, we are going to make bad choices again and again and again. And we are going to destroy our life. So there's no shortcut, there's no shortcut for wisdom. That's what I realize, what I realize about us. What we want is not wisdom. What we want is shortcut. So I have had people come to me over the years and say, Yes, I need your help. I have a very important decision to make, and I don't know which one is God's will. Would you help me? This is God's will. Should I do A? Should I do B? I want to know what God wants me to do. Sounds very spiritual, right? But what they're actually saying is, hey, Yos, what is the safest choice for me here? How can I be sure that this is what God wants me to do? What's the guideline? What's the technique? Tell me. What's the secret so that I will know that the decision that I will make will be good no matter what? Okay? Or maybe, here's what, what you can do, Yos. Why don't you pray to God for me and ask God for me and tell me what to do? So they were treating me like a free fortune teller. And my answer was not, oftentimes, not satisfying because I will tell them, you do not become a wise person overnight. You do not become the person who can make the right choices, the right big decision in your life overnight because you become wise through years of training. Through years of continuously obeying God's word in the little decisions of life, continuously being instructed by someone who are wiser than you, you become wise through years of learning about God's heart, God's word, and your own heart, and what's your natural temperament, what do you need to do about it. Through years of suffering and pain, you become wise through a long process. And when you do that, when you have to make big choice in life, all you have to do simply Pray about it and decide because you did your homework. You see, we want a shortcut, but there is no shortcut for wisdom. If we have never spent time studying the Bible, if we do not do the hard work of learning about God and our own hearts, if we do not go through the pain of learning, of pain of being corrected and instructed, we will not have Wisdom. Wisdom is not acquired overnight. It is a long process. Which some of you are asking, okay, then tell me, how do I grow in this wisdom? Stay tuned next week. Which leads me today to my last point. What is the starting point of wisdom? Where do we need to begin to find wisdom. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Full despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon say he say he clearly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now the word beginning here does not simply mean something that we do and then we leave behind. But the word beginning here means the first and controlling principle of all wisdom. In other words, to have wisdom, we must fear God. Which leads us to this question, what does it mean to fear God? See, at first it sounds strange to us because most of us associate fear with something negative, right? Right? But in here, throughout the Bible, the fear of God is not something negative, but rather it is a positive fear. For example, 
there are two ways we can be afraid in the presence of someone. If that person is someone who's nasty, someone who is mean, someone who might say something to hurt you, very cruel, someone who might hit you, you might feel negative fear toward that person, right? Because you distrust that person and you do not want to hear what that person has to say. But there's another way for us to feel fear in the presence of someone. Have you ever found yourself in the presence of someone you really admire? Someone you really look up to? I have. Well, almost. It was in 2020 when I attended a conference in Kuala Lumpur. Okay? Some of you know, Tim Keller is one of my heroes in life. Okay? And Tim Keller was one of the main speakers at that conference. Okay? And throughout the conference, my hope, my deep desire, I just want to get close to him, take picture with him, or have him sign my Bible. Like, I don't even mind if he signed my forehead, man. Just want to get close to him and tell him how much God has used him to shape my life. And throughout the conference, I was waiting for my one opportunity. But then I heard from someone who worked with Keller that Tim Keller did not like it when people did that. He did not enjoy taking pictures with people who admire him or gave his signature. So one time during lunch break, a friend of mine told me, Koyos, I saw Tim Keller at that restaurant in the same mall that we were in. That's my one-time opportunity to get close to Tim Keller. What did I do? I did not do it. Why? Because I refer him so much that I did not want to do anything that he did not like. That's positive fear. Has that ever happened to you? See, negative fear is afraid. Negative fear is we're afraid someone's going to hurt us. While positive fear is we are afraid we are going to hurt them because we honor them and appreciate them so much. See, negative fear is selfish. It's all about me. I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. Positive fear is about the other person. I don't want to do anything that will dishonor or grieve this person. That's the fear of God. See, the fear of God the fear of God is not being afraid that God will condemn us. It is being afraid that we might do something that hurts God. It's like this. Let's say someone asks you to drive his brand new Ferrari. That Ferrari works more than everything you have combined. Your suit, your clothes, your liver, your underwear, all of them combined, still cannot compare, can't even pay the insurance of that car. And now you have to drive that car. What do you feel? You will feel afraid, right? I mean, you will not say, let's see how fast this baby can go and drive 150 in 80 zone. You will not do that you will instead drive 60 in Arizona. Why? Not because you're afraid that you might hurt and the Ferrari will hurt you, but you're afraid that you might hurt and scratch the car. And the fear of God is that kind of fear. You are in a joyful fear. You have such awe and wonder of God that you don't want to do anything that might grieve the heart of God. You don't want to do anything that might dishonor God. And this is different from how most people think about God. Because do you know what kind of fear people usually associate with God? Negative fear. When they think about God, most people, even Christians, you know why they obey God? They obey God because they're afraid. They're afraid, if I don't obey God, God will not bless me. If I don't do this, God will not bless my business. If I don't make God happy, He will thunder strike me from heaven. But this is not the kind of fear that Solomon is talking about. Because this kind of fear will not make us wise. It will make us hide from God. It will make us avoid God. But rather the kind of fear that Solomon talks about is the kind of fear that makes us draw close to God. 
And if we have that kind of fear, listen, it will make us wise. Think about it. If we have positive fear of God, we wouldn't be simple. If we love God so much and fear Him so much, if we are in awe of God, we will not care about what other people think about us. We will only care about what God thinks of us. We will not follow the crowd. Who cares what other people think? We don't need their approval. We don't have to look cool in front of other people. We will not be simple. But also, if we have this positive fear, we will not be a fool. Why? Because we don't care what we think anymore. We don't have to be right. I don't have to be right. I don't have to insist on having my way. I can freely acknowledge that God knows what is right, and I don't. We have humility. And this fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Which leads me to my last question. Then, how? How do we get this positive fear of God? There's only one way. We have to be absolutely sure that God will not condemn us for our foolishness. Because as long as we think that God is out there to get us, we will be afraid of Him, but we won't be in awe of Him. And this is the difference between religious Christian and gospel Christian. Religious Christians have a negative fear of God. They obey God because they're afraid of God. Only those who understand the gospel have positive fear of God. How so? One commentary that I read make a very, very interesting point, okay? And he does this by pointing us to Psalm 130, verse 3 to 4. This is what the Bible, what the Bible says. If you, O Lord, Shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, that does not make any sense for me for years because how does God forgiving me of my sin lead me to fear God? Because I was thinking negative fear. But the psalmist is talking about positive fear, and the psalmist says this if you know how God has forgiven you. If you know what God has done in order to forgive you of your iniquity, you will fear Him. You will be in awe of Him. The question is, do we know that? Do we know how God forgives us of our sin? Because God does not forgive us of our foolishness of our sin by simply overlooking it. Because if He does, if he does that, He's not a just God and we can't trust His way. We can't trust His Word. There's no point for us seeking Him and fearing Him. But if He does punish us for our foolishness, the psalmist asks, who could stand? Who could survive? No one. So what's the solution? How can God forgive us of our iniquity and keep his words at the same time. The answer, there is only one answer. The cross of Jesus Christ. Because it is at the cross we see that God forgives us of our sin. But how, that, how did He do it? Not by overlooking our sin, by trading places with us. See, Jesus Christ, the very wisdom of God who took on flesh, Jesus took our sin and He died a foolish death. Every other wise man say, this is how you should live in order to be wise. But the very wisdom of God says, this is how you should live, but you cannot. But I have lived a life that you cannot, so that when you put your faith in me, you find wisdom. See, when Jesus went to the cross, what the world saw is foolishness. But when we see Jesus went to the cross for us, when we see Jesus took that punishment that we deserve for us, what we see is not foolishness. What we see is beauty. 
And if we see Jesus did that for us, here's what happened. It produced positive fear of God. Because now we're no longer afraid of Him. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. But rather, we are, in so, what we are so in awe of what He has done for us that we do not want to do anything that grieves His heart. And Solomon said that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Unless we have this joyful fear of God, we will not have wisdom. So how do we find wisdom? Here's how. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at the only wise man hanging there for you and me. Look at the blood that was shed at the cross. Look at him, stare at him, and look away from yourself. Look at him and keep looking at him until you finally realize this is how much my God loved me. Look at him to the point that finally your pride melts at the beauty of the cross. Look at him until you are so certain what he thinks of you that now you don't care about what other people think of you. You don't need their approval. Look at that crucified Savior until you realize how much he loved you. That's the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. And we confess tonight, Lord, that we are not the wise. For some of us, we are the foolish. We continue to insist on our own way. We continue to think that we know better than you. And rather than trusting you, rather than coming to you and accept your mercy for us, we continue to try to prove ourselves before you. Or maybe for some of us, Lord, we are the simple. We call ourselves Christian, and yet we continue to seek other people's approval. We continue to be influenced by the world, by the people around us, and we continue to make dumb choices. Or maybe for some of us, Lord, we're Christian. But we have negative fear of you. We are afraid of you. We don't realize what you've done for us at the cross. So Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to continue to do that supernatural work in our heart. If there's anything that we need to repent of, if there's any disobedience in our life, if there's anything that is not according to your word, I pray that today, tonight, we have the humility to say, Lord, I'm a fool. Lord, I'm such a simple person. But yet at the same time, you die for me. And you cover all my sins with your blood. So Father, I pray for all of us in this place. The fool and the simple may we continue to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. May we continue to be captivated by what you've done for us at the cross. And may we continue to stare at your sacrifice for us and may it melt our heart so that we may grow and have fear of you, of you Lord. A positive fear of God. Help us, Lord. Help us to see what you've done for us so that we may be in awe of you. And that's the beginning of wisdom. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.